Peace Corps gives us a chance to show a side of our country which is too often submerged. Our desire to live in peace, our desire to be of help. There can be no greater service to our country and no source of pride more real than to be a member of the Peace Corps of the United States. Hello everyone and welcome to the My Peace Corps Story podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Lloyd, and I'm here to help tell the stories of current and returned Peace Corps volunteers. If you like what you hear today, be sure to let me know over at MyPeaceCorpsStory.com and connect with me on Instagram at MyPeaceCorpsStory or on Facebook by searching for My Peace Corps Story. Additionally, head on over to iTunes and leave a review for the show. Five-star reviews are extremely appreciated, but more than anything, I want to know what you think so I can better serve my audience. I'd like to give a shout-out and special thanks to Gisan Rio. They say, five stars, amazing. First heard of this on Instagram and have been so interested in hearing about people's experience in the Peace Corps. Love hearing about these stories. Thank you. And another five-star review from HEP5043. They say, inspiring. I'm very interested in pursuing a Peace Corps application in the future, and this podcast is a great way to get an idea of what the experience can be like. Peace Corps volunteers do such amazing work, and I hope to someday be one myself. Well, best of luck on your journey in becoming a Peace Corps volunteer. Maybe one day I can interview you on the show, HEP5043. Today on the show, I interview Travis Hellstrom. Travis served in Mongolia from 2008 to 2011 as a health volunteer. Travis is an author, blogger, and optimist. He has a passion for happiness, simplicity, love, authenticity, and optimism, and he's pretty crazy about cream soda. I talked to him about his Peace Corps service, meeting his wife while he was a volunteer, and his work after Peace Corps, spreading optimism. This is, this is, this is, this is my, my Peace Corps, Peace Corps, my Peace Corps, my Peace Corps story, story, story. This is Travis Hellstrom, and this is my Peace Corps story. Hey, Travis, how you doing? I'm doing great, Tyler. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm very excited to have you on the show as uh, an author that has uh, put out a lot of material and has just been doing a lot of very interesting work post-Peace Corps. I'm really excited to, to talk to you today. I'm excited, too. It's an honor to be here with you. Well, thank you very much. Just start off, um, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Uh, you can go into your service, where you served, when, what did you do, and then sort of bring them into present day. So tell us a little bit about Travis. Sure. Well, my Peace Corps journey starts back at college. I was a pre-med student thinking about medical school and thinking about Peace Corps. And I was thinking about it in my junior year and my senior year. And I was able to actually go to Costa Rica and volunteer for several months um, in a children's hospital there. And I also got to meet a lot of Peace Corps volunteers there. And that helped me decide that Peace Corps felt like the right thing. Uh, medical school, I think, could have been a great choice, but Peace Corps felt right, and they felt like my people, and uh, that got me into the Peace Corps process. So I applied. Um, I ended up actually getting rejected, not rejected, but um, I turned down the first invitation because it left. I was in my graduation gown and got a Peace Corps call, and they said, hey, would you like to leave next week? I'm like, I don't know. Um, so I ended up uh, declining politely my first uh, request from Peace Corps, my first invitation. Uh, understandable. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they seem to be understanding. They weren't as understanding about the second time I declined. Um, <laughs> but, but I ended up getting a, a third uh, invitation, thank goodness. And it was for Mongolia, which ended up changing my life. Um, so I went into Peace Corps Mongolia in 2008 and, um, left in May when we arrived, there was uh, snowflakes falling in the airport parking lot, uh, at the end of May. Um, and there was also two security guards chasing a horse around the parking lot. So, uh, <laughs> Mongolia made an immediate impression on our entire group. Um, they also ter- told us during Peace Corps training, you know, out of 65 of you in the room, three of you are going to get married, um, to a Mongolian, two of you are going to get married to each other in this room. They threw all these statistics out. I don't know if they did this to you, Tyler, in your training, but they threw all these numbers out cause they've been tracking it for, you know, 20 years in mm-hmm. Mongolia. Um, and I was like, that's crazy. There's no way. And they were not only accurate, but they vastly underestimated these numbers of volunteers who got married to one another or to, uh, host country nationals, uh, myself included. I met my wife Tunga, uh, while I was serving mm-hmm. in Mongolia. So I, I was a health volunteer. I worked in the Eastern province of Sukhbatar in Mongolia and I worked in the hospital. So I was training, um, hospital nurses, doctors, mostly in English, which was their request. And then my third year, I worked with um, the World Health Organization out of the capital city. And uh, when I was there working with the director of the WHO, um, he also said, you know, one of the biggest things that health volunteers can do in Mongolia is teach English because we provide trainings. We send doctors and nurses all around the world to United Nations trainings, but they need to be able to speak English. And um, that was a big surprise to me. And I think it was a, it was really interesting, especially during my first year to listen a lot, listen to, um, my host country friends, to listen to people that have been in the country for a long time, uh, and to hear things like that, that we got trained in all these amazing, uh, techniques and ideas around, uh, health work, but really teaching English was something that everyone wanted. And, uh, I, I obliged and supported. And now it's interesting almost 10 years later to see those people who are in my English classes and now are the directors of the hospital, directors of the health department, directors in the English, um, you know, uh, department for the province and just mm-hmm. amazing leaders, amazing people who've gone on and just done wonderful things for the country. And English has been a huge part of that for them. So I'm humbled that I've got to play a part in that. Uh, but I'm also humbled by that advice that I got early on that would have been easy to decline. And I'm not here to teach English. I didn't get any training in that. Um, but in fact, that was something that made a huge difference. And in my personal life, um, I met my wife, Tunga, who at the time didn't speak any English. And my Mongolian was rudimentary at best. And we um, ended up getting very close. And then after several years getting married and now she just finished graduate school here in the U S so her English has gotten quite good. Um, and after Peace Corps, I stayed a fourth year in Mongolia. Uh, I worked with a startup, a tech startup, which ended up becoming the first, uh, certified benefit corporation in Asia. Mm-hmm. And we started the TEDx event there in Mongolia, uh, oh, wow. in 2011. It was the first TEDx. It went really well. Uh, last year, it's gone so well. In fact, there's been 15 other TEDx events around the country since then. And the last one was um, hosted in the parliament by the president of the country. So TEDx has also done very well in Mongolia. Um, and the Mende, who I worked with uh, in the startup, the New Media Group, is still a good friend and a wonderful person doing some amazing work. And he was one of the first people several years into Peace Corps who came up to me and said, 
uh, I see what you're doing. I put a lot of stuff on my website. And he said, I've seen what you've been up to, your projects, and I think they're wonderful. And I'd love to help you. Is there any way I can help you? And I, I had spent years going in and having that same conversation with people in Mongolia of how can I help you to the children's department, to the health department, to whoever would listen. Um, and that worked well. But he was the first person who'd come up to me and asked me as a Peace Corps volunteer. So we get along really well, started TEDx, worked together. Uh, and he introduced me to B Corps. I had never heard of it. And he said, I want to be the first B Corps in Mongolia and in Asia. And I'd like for you to help me do that. And, um, and we did that together. And now I, I came back to the U.S., did my graduate school work uh, in the B Corps world, the social business world. I can talk more about what B Corps is a little bit later. I know it's maybe a little confusing. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I actually teach in a graduate school on on this. I'm teaching a course at SIT graduate school in the fall. I teach at Marlboro graduate school in the MBA program uh, and help lead that program. And I've done some consulting with B Corps like uh, Ben and Jerry's and Seventh Generation and King Arthur Flower and some amazing B Corps all around the country uh, and many right here in Vermont, which is where I'm based now. Um, but that's that kind of brings us up to present day. I'm doing a lot of consulting work. I'm teaching uh, in starting up a Optimus Center we can talk about soon, which is a co-working space for entrepreneurs. And um, and in short, Peace Corps changed my life forever. And the most important thing ever, my wife, um, who's totally changed my life, uh, I have to attribute 100% to Peace Corps. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity that I had to go to Mongolia. Wow. I mean, as you were talking, I've, I have a pad of paper next to me and just scribbling down, oh, ask about this, ask about this, ask about this. So I have a whole list of questions now just generated from everything that you just told me that hopefully we can we can start getting into uh, during our conversation. But but first for everybody, so you were in Mongolia. What what do you want us to know about Mongolia? I mean, I, I can point it out on a map. Um, I think of planes and horses, and beyond mm. that, I don't know much else. So what do you want the listeners to know about Mongolia? Mm. Well, um, it has a special place in my heart. I'll, I'll say that it's one of the most amazing places in the world. Uh, I think that there's a couple things. Um, one, Mongolia is a third the size of the U.S. It's a huge country. Uh, it's also got three million people. So if you can imagine... Um, a country, you know, 20, 30 times bigger than Vermont with only six times the population of Vermont. It's very sparsely populated, the least densely populated country in the world. Um, and it just so happens that our province in the East is the least densely populated province in the country. So it's literally the, the furthest away from anyone you could possibly get. And, um, and so the idea of I've heard that Montana and Wyoming and places like that in the U.S. are mm-hmm. like this, too, where you can just see for miles and miles and miles. We, we camped one night and could see a thunderstorm coming for hours. And we just kept it just kept coming and kept coming. And um, it's amazing. And I think the people of Mongolia have that same amazing quality of seeing really far. They are really good at not not being short-sighted, not getting too caught up in the moment. They're very good at being very present, but also thinking very long-term. Um, and they've had this sustainable way of living for you know tens of thousands of years. Um, I also would encourage people to look into the true history of who we call Genghis Khan, but who the Mongolians call Chinggis Khan. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some great books written about him. Uh, one, Genghis Khan and the Making of the Modern World is fantastic. Um, 
and the other is called Genghis Khan and the Search for God, I think is another great one. But when you actually look into the history of, for instance, um, Genghis Khan bringing spirituality, um, an open spirituality that was then later adopted in the Declaration of Independence by the U.S., that people should be able to practice whatever religion they want, that there should be a uh, an open and a tolerant culture was the best that we know, founded back by Chinggis Khan himself. Uh, the meritocracy starts mm-hmm. back with him, where people were promoted based on their abilities, not by their family or their descendants. Um, some really interesting history around what he did for the world, um, which is fascinating and I think is really exciting. Another thing is Mongolia is a very, very young country in its current form. It was uh, communist from, I believe, 1921 to 1991. Mm-hmm. And only since then, only in the last 25-plus years, has it been a democratic country, and that's been a really challenging process for them. Um, and I couldn't quite appreciate that until I was able to talk with Tunga and her family at length over the years about what that was like for them. Uh, and I think that's very humbling, very interesting, and it's similar to talking to someone who lived through the Depression and has a very different worldview because of that, even today. I think that's similar to how people in Mongolia don't take anything for granted and that their democracy is still very fragile and they take that very seriously. Um, The other thing that I would say is that they have adopted a type of spirituality that goes back thousands of years. Um, The term Dalai Lama is actually a Mongolian term. Dalai means sea, and Lama is a teacher. So Mm -hmm. a teacher with wisdom is as large as the sea. And um, that was given to the third Dalai Lama and then uh, retroactively to the first and second. But the third Dalai Lama was actually Mongolian, and every other uh, Dalai Lama has been Tibetan. So um, there's even some discussion about the next Dalai Lama, um, who who that might be, where they might be from. and I'm a huge fan of the Dalai Lama, so I was a big fan of going to Mongolia. Uh, and they've really ingrained this spirituality of mindfulness and presence, I believe, mm-hmm. uh, into their culture. And so you'll it, it just feels different when you're around Mongolian people. I think they're extremely present, very kind and compassionate, um, very similar to what people say about being around the Dalai Lama himself. Mm-hmm. Now, as a Peace Corps volunteer, I, you know, I know that there are hundreds of memories Uh, and when one tries to think back on their service sometimes the things that we enjoy the most aren't aren't those you know stories and sometimes they are you know sometimes you have these great hilarious stories but sometimes they're more ethereal things that you experience Um, do you have something that comes to mind if i were to ask you know what is one of your favorite peace corps memories Mm. um yeah i mean i just like you said i have a flood of memories that come back to me. Luckily, I've written a lot of them down. So they're in my my books um, enough. If you go to my website and look at my books, there's a book called Enough. And that one has a lot of my stories in it. Um, some stories that people, as I was, t- you know, as we all do in Peace Corps, we get on Skype or whatever, email people and we tell them these stories. And um, often people would say, you've got to write that down. That's that's really great. You've got to keep that and make sure you tell other people that story. Um I definitely have a lot of those funny stories, uh, some funny because I got myself into funny situations, some funny because they were cultural differences. Um, I mean, I, I think if I had to say my favorite, I'm immediately going to romantic memories, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And I, for me, with my wife, I can say that um, 
one of our first moments when, you know, I, I knew that I wanted to be closer to her and I just, she was this amazing person. Um, the, the most amazing person I'd ever met. And I knew that I wanted to ask her if she would be open to dating, but I knew that that was, it's complicated. Multicultural relationships are complicated. And even the idea of dating, I'm sure, I'm not sure about you, Tyler, with the, um, you know, training or different things that you went through, but in our training, they tell us, you know, there are all these different things that in Mongolia might be read very differently than in America. And you need to mm -hmm. know that. So what I did was wrote a letter, um, and gave it to her in person. And we were alone and we were able to, you know, sit down and have time together. But I had written this letter that I thought would really help explain things, mm -hmm. um, clearly. <laughs> and, then, but her English wasn't good enough yet to be able to read the letter and immediately respond. So what happened was I gave her the letter. She immediately asked for the English Mongolian dictionary and, and read through it, took notes, and then started writing her own letter back to me. So I'm sitting there like waiting <laughs> and waiting. And then, I mean, I'm just waiting, waiting, wondering like, is this good? Is this bad? I have no idea, you know? Um, and she's writing and she'd be looking up in the dictionary for herself to write, you know, in English back to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and then after like 30, what felt like forever, but was probably 30, 45 minutes, she's, she crumples up the letter and throws it away and then starts rewriting the letter. And I'm like, what does that mean? And <laughs> she says, I want it to look pretty is what she says. Um, it's like, oh no, so did, I, did she change her mind? <laughs> that's what I, so I thought, okay, that's okay. If she wants it to look pretty, then that's probably a good sign, but still I'm kind of on edge. Right. Um, but yeah, after, I don't really know how long this took, it felt forever. Uh, I finally got back what was effectively a yes, which was wonderful, um, and life changing, but it was just this wonderful experience too, of both of us having to spend so much energy on communicating and making sure we were being really clear about what we were saying. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that also set us up for a really great relationship too, because we take a lot of time together when we communicate to be very clear. And also, um, it's really interesting and in multicultural relationships. I had no idea I'd ever be in one, but it's been incredible. Uh, and I think that was one of the first experiences that I had and, um, it was very, very special and uh, we still have those letters today. Wow. Yeah. I, I can't even be begin to you know, really comprehend how, how difficult it must have been initially starting off. So there's, you know, there was this person that you saw and that you knew to, wanted to be close with, but how did, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, writing the letters back and forth, but how did that communication start to work? Cause I just know from just the, the friendships I had, you know, I had great friends in village, but there were times when I just couldn't express myself and really struggled to have a, an understanding it was much deeper on an emotional level. And then here's this person that, you know, you wanted to be romantically involved with. Mm -hmm. So what was that like? What were, were the... <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's a couple, I think, funny elements here. One is or not funny, but also very deep um, and interesting questions. One would be, can you fall in love with someone without words? I guess is one first question. And, and I don't mean just the love at first sight kind of thing. I mean, can you observe someone and how they act and how they treat others, not knowing necessarily the language, but but fall in love with that person? And and in my experience, you can. And I and I've tell, told other people this when we taught a summer camp, Tunga and I and a lot of the young girls, especially at the time, would ask Tunga or ask me, you know, why why did you date? You know, how did you decide to date one another? Um, I would tell them 
you know, the thing that I find most attractive about Tunga is her kindness. She's so kind to everyone. And and you don't need language to see that. That's mm-hmm. something you, you can watch someone and see how kind they are <laughs> at any moment of any day. And especially over time, seeing them interact with everyone of every different kind and job and everything. Um, so I fell in love with her kindness right away. And, um, and I think also there were some really fun opportunities that I had because I was teaching English and she was in my classes with the doctors and nurses that I was able to ask questions to figure things out. For instance, you know, what's your name or, um, are you married or do you have a boyfriend? Things like that, that were very good information for me to know, Mm -hmm. but also were good lessons to be teaching (laughs) in class anyway. So I got a little bit of a, a shortcut to finding out more about her Uh, And then also, obviously, I'm answering the same questions in class to everyone, and we're all like, you know, kidding around things or learning new things about each other and about English and about Mongolian. Um, But I think a lot of our relationships started around those things of watching one another interact with people. Um, Really, each word that we would say we would mean, and Mongolian is a really special language. They don't have words like we have to express a wide variety of things that really mean the same thing. When we ask people, how are you doing? And you say, great, fabulous, excellent, fantastic, incredible, wonderful, right? I mean, it's all kind of the same feeling. Mm-hmm. And in Mongolian, they don't spend all this time thinking of all these creative words. They they mean what they say, and they say it very simply. And I think that I started appreciating that very early on, that there's an honesty and a directness that was very helpful for me. And actually has turned out to be very helpful for me as a speaker, as a writer, as a teacher to mean what I say and say what I mean and be very clear and simple about it. Um, So I think actually over time, my English got better. uh, My thinking got better and clearer. And luckily, um, I was able to teach some of that, too. And uh, I learned a lot about Mongolian um, language, about the culture and there was a tremendous amount of trust on both sides from our families, from the culture itself, from our community, uh, and a lot of respect, too. I, I tried very hard not to take anything for granted uh, and to be very respectful, overly respectful and appreciative. Uh, and I think that went both ways. Uh, and I knew, I mean, it's a lot of pressure to put on a relationship early on to think, okay, I'm not just making a decision about you know, our relationship, I'm also making a commitment to this community and to this family. And, uh, I think that goes a long way too. And so that, that was also on my mind, I think on both of our minds and, um, that, that community Sukhbader and Baranard, our town is very special to both of us. And we know that we've stepped into a role of being, um, de facto community leaders in some ways and that people are always watching what we're doing and that we, we take that as an opportunity to help others. And we're really appreciative of that. Um, and for instance, Tunga's mom and dad are here right now. They've been here for three and a half months, uh, visiting over the summer and they'll be going back home uh, next week. And this is their second time here. And it's, it's very much a cultural ambassador situation, uh, where they're on Skype almost every day. And, um, and it's amazing. We live in a very special time where Peace Corps has encouraged this type of global communication and, um, citizenship where, I mean, I, you can't, I, I can't think of a better example of how we can share cultures across, mm-hmm. you know, the planet. Um, we're literally on the other side of the planet from Mongolia. So it's, it's an amazing time that we live in. And I, again, I just feel very lucky and grateful. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, you, you have your wife and still 
a great connection to Mongolia and, and your service, but is there anything that you, you miss about the Peace Corps that maybe you haven't been able to recreate in your life day-to-day in the United States, or um, maybe you, you have, and how, how have you done that to, to keep those ties where you don't feel that you're, you're missing out on something uh, that was mm. so important to you in Peace Corps? Oh my God. Yeah. Um, so yes, I, I was talking with some graduate students last weekend about this. I think one thing that Peace Corps lets you do, um, this gets into a little bit of research and psychology, but I think Peace Corps lets us immediately jump to the highest level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, Mm -hmm. which, um, basically that at the bottom of the hierarchy of needs is survival, you know, food and water. Then there's, ego. Um, and you know, it's all, all about me and making yourself great. Then there's kind of the community and helping others and reaching out to others. And then there's this idea of self-transcendence or self-actualization where we get to go to the very highest level of service and caring about others and doing what's best for the community and really going beyond ourselves, you know, something bigger than ourselves. And it's, it's so hard to get to the top of the pyramid. Um, I think around the world, but in Peace Corps, Peace Corps basically says, look, we're taking care of the survival stuff. You got your monthly stipend. We're taking care of all these other questions, all these other issues. We encourage you to get over yourself and and to, to really just focus on the community and what you can do. Um, and by the nature of requiring 27 months of service, we're kind of committing you to this idea of community service and focusing on others and another community you've never met. Um, you're skipping straight to potentially self-actualization and that's incredibly empowering. It's amazing. And it's just unbelievable really that you can make that jump so fast. Mm -hmm. Then I feel like in some ways you come back to America or wherever and you get thrown back to the bottom of the pyramid and you're just trying to survive again. Um, because maybe the standard of living is so high or whatever it is. Uh, we just get thrown back and it feels like, oh my gosh, I've got to, I've got to climb and crawl back up, claw back up the pyramid. Um, and I think that can feel really, really tough because the idea of spending your waking hours thinking about how you can serve others and serve a community mm-hmm. is fantastic. It feels wonderful. Um, I think it's what we're meant to do as, as people, as humans. Uh, and I think that's why it feels like such an honor too. And I don't think Peace Corps is alone. I think AmeriCorps volunteers feel like this. I think in a lot of ways, military service feels like this. I think there are a lot of times when we feel like we're our highest self and we're serving others. And, and it's too bad that it's so hard in other places in our lives or other geographical locations to do that. So to your point, how do I try to bring that back in? Or is it possible to bring that back in? I think it is. Um, but I think there are some things you can do, you know, I think one is make your pyramid a little smaller. For instance, don't buy a huge house, maybe have a smaller place Mm -hmm. that doesn't require so much rent or whatever it is. Um, make the survival part of your pyramid smaller so that it's easier to move up to the next level. And, um, and obviously I think Peace Corps encourages us to think about ourselves in new ways and not get so tied up in ego and in job titles and stuff like that. So I think there are ways that we can simplify our lives a bit and maintain more of who we really want to be. Um, but it is a struggle. I think another thing that now is more possible than ever is 
questioning where you want to live. Maybe it's within America. Maybe it's maybe even living other overseas uh, or thinking about doing remote work and living in a smaller town or whatever it may be. I think getting creative about doing work you love and living uh, in a place that you love, I think that can really help a lot. Um, and then maybe lastly, I would say that Peace Corps now is very different. Possibly it's very different than it was in the past in that there's Facebook now mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and you can be on Facebook with your host country friend that you just left yesterday on the plane and they're checking in on you and saying, Hey, how's it going? You know, how was the plane flight? Mm -hmm. I think that's very different than 20 years ago when you wrote letters and it took months and maybe even it was years before you were able to communicate with people. Um, and now you can watch them in real time and see what they're up to and, um, and encourage them and maybe answer questions, whatever it may be, or just check in and be friends. You know, I think, uh, one thing I wrote in my book is that I don't think people need saving. I think they need friends. Mm -hmm. And I think that Peace Corps has always known that. And that's why world peace and friendship is, is the mission of Peace Corps. Um, I think that is a really powerful idea and it's an equalizer. It makes us all the same and it, it makes us all excited to be part of this journey together. Definitely. I mean, those are some great tips of how we can sort of, I guess, bring the, the essence of Peace Corps back back into our lives i mean you know, post post service you know whether you're in the united states or elsewhere that you know it does have to be a conscious decision you just don't fall you know into it but that you can continue you know serving others and living out the life that you found so fulfilling as mm -hmm. a volunteer in peace corps mm -hmm. maybe one more thing and you just reminded me is um I think we should be easy on ourselves. I think, I think volunteers can be really hard on ourselves, especially during service. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm sure you saw, maybe you were yourself one of those people that was just really hard on themselves. Um, and I don't think that goes away when you get back. It probably gets easier to be harder on yourself in America. So um, maybe we should all band together and do things like you're doing, Tyler, of reaching out and supporting each other, uh, and also just giving ourselves a break a little bit. Like I know, I know that. Peace Corps volunteers are incredible um, and that they have huge hearts and they want to be doing the right thing. And um, and I guess we should we should look at the long game. You know, let's try to do the right thing over the next 50 to 60 years. Let's let's not try to do it all in the next two years uh, and give ourselves a heart attack. So I think if we can be a little easy on ourselves, um, give ourselves some credit and, and also support each other. I think that could be wonderful. No, definitely. I I know that I was you know very hard on myself, especially you know the first year of my service when, really you're just trying to you know figure out the language, the the cultural differences, and you know for me being sort of a, a go getter and a leader from my life in the United States and then coming to Peace Corps, it's just you know frustrating. Of I I want to do good, but I don't know how. I guess, you know, not undervaluing the steps that it takes you to, to get to a place where you where you can really do good in the world, you know, building those connections. And it does take time. And it's, you know, maybe be a little bit easier on yourself and understand that it is a journey to where you're, you know, where you're going. And you will learn lessons and make those friendships that will help you in the end. Very well said. I want to start to understand how you got into the whole, I guess, entrepreneurship and optimism and the TEDx and just help, helping people out when, I mean, you were coming from a, a service bent of, of, you know, Peace Corps, but you were a, a pre-med biology mm -hmm. student, then working mm -hmm. at a health center, and then you're 
on this sort of uh, entrepreneur business side, and you've been working with these B Corps. So how how did that happen? What what was that sort of transformation and journey? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think there's a really good book out there called How Will You Measure Your Life? And in the book, he says in there, and I hadn't seen this before, he said, if you really want to help others, be a manager. And I had never seen that before, but I think that actually sums up what explains what I've done. And it's that I've always wanted to help others. That was the reason I went into pre-med work in the beginning. Um, That's why I went into the Peace Corps. And when I was in the Peace Corps and I was focusing on that and helping children in the Children's Center and helping doctors and nurses in the hospital and patients, I started seeing that a lot of the struggles that people were going through weren't really solvable through the health system. Uh, They were mostly economic challenges. They were people who didn't know how to start a business but wanted to start a business. And and actually starting a business in communist um, Mongolia for 70 years was illegal. It's not it's not legal to start a business. It's all state organized. So so that whole idea of entrepreneurship had just been taken out for decades. So people were hungry to start businesses but didn't know how. They were interested in creating opportunities. There were closed factories all over the country and people that had lost their jobs and didn't have anyone giving them new jobs. And the more I talked to people, the more people said, look, we just need jobs. We need to do something and we don't know what to do. And we want to be starting businesses, but we don't know what kind of businesses to start. And I started seeing that a lot of the challenges were economic. And I think um, that probably isn't unusual even for American towns Mm -hmm. and rural areas, right? That people are like, look, we used to have all these factory jobs and now we don't. What do we do? And so I think actually this is a bigger issue um, across the world. And I started to see that, okay, if we could raise some money and start a store and maybe then have that store pay that money back and start another business, could that help? Uh, and that sounds like Kiva. At the time, Kiva you know, was still very young and it wasn't in Mongolia yet, but we kind of created our own little Kiva approach and we built a store and it did make a difference. And actually the store started even making decisions that we hadn't thought of. For instance, the store decided not to sell cigarettes and not to sell alcohol. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't have mandated that because that's a pretty rough financial decision to make. Um, But they made it because they said, we're a community store. We want to be healthy for the community. And um, even in America, what CVS just now stopped selling, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that was very brave of them. And in fact, they've taken that money and reinvested it and started a bakery. And then they're reinvesting it and starting um, like a car mechanic shop. And so I think it's a pretty fun example of a pretty simple idea that's already working pretty well. Um, And it got me inspired to think, okay, how could we help other people find great jobs? Because as we know, you know, just from our own personal experiences in our own families, when, when, when parents have good jobs, then... They're, and they're treated well. They feel good. Their workplace feels good. They come home and their home feels better, you know, and everything ripples out from there. If you're enjoying your work and doing things that you, you believe in on a daily basis, then your friendships are better, your family's better, your community's better. And I think that's at the heart of this B Corporation movement that for profit doesn't have to mean anti everything else. And in fact, we can have great companies that are great for the environment, that are great for their workforce, that are great for the community. And that sounds pretty awesome. So I've been inspired to learn more and to try to create those opportunities for others. Um, And it's felt very fulfilling because it's the same heart of why I was going into medicine. Um, But unfortunately, when you're in a doctor's office, you, you see people when they're sick 
And then you don't really see them the other 360 days of the year. Um, in the workforce, you see them the other times when, when they're doing well, when they're ready to you know, be productive and do work they believe in. So the idea of being with people and being a manager or being a business leader or whatever it is um, means that you can make a huge difference in the lives of others when they're healthy, they're productive, they're ready to go, they're wanting to do things to make a difference in the community. And that was very exciting for me. And that's really empowered me now to be working with purpose-driven leaders across all sectors, um, nonprofit, for-profit, the public sector. I think that this is the kind of stuff we need and it really doesn't live in any particular sector. It's it's across the board. Mm-hmm. I would like you to speak a little bit about the Optimist program and some of the stuff you're doing there uh, to let people know uh, sort of your philosophy and the good work that you're doing online and with people in person in your hometown. Mm, thanks. Yeah, this is still pretty new and pretty fresh, so uh, I haven't perfected the pitch of it yet. Um, but but in my work, I've found that the people that I'm really gravitating toward are optimists, people who are excited about making a change in the world. They look at their own lives, they look at their own communities, and they want to do work they believe in, uh, and they want to make a difference. So that idea of, I love working with optimists, is, okay, well, how can I help a lot of people who want to do that kind of work. And the idea of the online program is that I can share videos and share experiences with people and also have others share their experiences uh, through video courses like the Peace Corps 101 series to help people through Peace Corps um, or other series that we're creating there to help people with their business ideas or uh, leadership. And the Optimist Center is an actual place, and we're hoping there will be more than one, where people can come and work together, have workshops, uh, create things themselves, build their own businesses, um, and even have a place to come and stay. So if you wanted to spend a weekend working on your business and not just in your business, then this is a place you can do that. Um, it's, It's an exciting thing for us here in our town in Woodstock, Vermont, and it's also something the town is interested in supporting through an economic development commission because they see the value in helping encourage remote work, inspiring people to live where they want to and do work they love. Um, But I also think that it has a potential to spread to other small towns, both in America and around the country, around the world. Um, When I imagine supporting our uh, community back in Mongolia, one of my wife and I's dream is to create a center there where we can be supporting a women's empowerment initiative and supporting women who want to create their own businesses, who want to have a place they can come and um, have mentorship between women of different ages, maybe uh, mothers and uh, new mothers, uh, maybe teenagers and um, people who might inspire them or mentor them and support them in their career choices. So this idea of an Optimist Center is, can there be a place you can go uh, that can encourage you and support you in making the kind of change you want to make in the world, whether that's a business or a nonprofit uh, or an educational institution. That's that's the dream behind what we're up to. It's also an ongoing adventure. So it's, it's very much in the beginning stages. Um, if someone's excited to be part of it, I encourage you to check out my website and you'll see it right there. Um, and just to write in, I mean, I'd love to hear people's thoughts. It's very new and we'll see how it goes. But at the moment, it seems like it's really powerful. And actually, I think the women's empowerment isn't something just Mongolia needs. I think it's something right here in Woodstock that is very much something we're trying to support in the center as well. Uh, so it's, it's wonderful. It's, uh, got me on the edge of my learning. So I'm definitely learning a lot through the process, 
but I can feel like I can feel the growth that's happening. And, and it's wonderful to be part of just today, you know, multiple conversations with people, uh, some several hours long supporting them in their work, uh, whether it's their businesses or their dreams of the future. And, um, that, that feels really special and it does feel a lot like Peace Corps actually. So it's nice to reflect on, on that with you right now. Well, I definitely look forward to, to seeing how you progress in this and your journey and where, where can others sort of, you know, find you online, follow you. Uh, you want to share some of your social media profiles and everything. So, so people know if they're interested in learning more about your work, uh, where, where mm. can they go? Yeah. So, uh, going to travishellstrom.com is really the best place. Um, and from there you can find everything else on the bottom is all the social media channels. They're all pretty much Travis Hellstrom. So if you go to Instagram slash Travis Hellstrom and so on, um, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter has, has all those updates. Um, but really it's that optimist program. So if you sign up to be part of that, that's where I've got a lot of the ongoing and kind of the behind the scenes stuff. (laughs) So, um, the, the struggles and the, uh, the challenges are, are all there so you can see and be part of that. Um, and also just reaching out to me over email, you know, you can just say hi at travishellstrom.com and, and send me an email. Let me know what you're up to, you know, how I can be helpful. I, if I could record a video for you and put it up in the community, I'd love to do that. Um, and in the same way, know that I'm excited to be part of interviews and answer questions. Um, I'm happy to, to support, um, any, any ideas people have or any ways that I can, can reach out. So, um, that's really, that's what we're up to right now. And I, I would love to see what people think about it. All right. Definitely. For everybody that's listening, if you go to mypeacecorestory.com, uh, in the show notes, you'll find links, uh, everything that he just described. So it'll be nice there and easy. So you can learn more about Travis and his exciting work. Well, I've had a blast talking to you today on the show, and I just want to end with you sharing a, a quote uh, from from your service. Uh, do you have a local saying or something that, that really means a lot to you and resonates uh, with you about your service? Whoa, that's a great question. <laughs> Let's see. One of my favorite from the Dalai Lama, um, who's kind of my go-to guy, he says my religion is kindness. And I think that's, I just love that. I think that's a really, really good, uh, some summation of what I mentioned about how kind, uh, people like Tunga are and Mongolia is. And, um, that to me, that sums up the idea that if we're kind to each other, if we focus on kindness and and compassion, um, that's really going to make, make the world a better place. That is a perfect sentiment to end on. And I thank you, Travis, very much for coming on the show and speaking with me today. Tyler, thank you so much. This is fantastic. And it was a pleasure to be with you. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Once again, if you want to stay better connected with me and the My Peace Corps Story podcast, head on over to MyPeaceCorpsStory.com. If you want to know my personal Peace Corps story, please check out my new book, Service Disrupted, available on Amazon. Every volunteer has a story. What's yours? <laughs>